turning and join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4 is where we'll be in our study this morning. Mark chapter 4. And we're taking some time in these final Sundays of summer to study some of the passages in the Bible that deal with boats. And we're trying to find the lessons contained in them. We learned last week as we spent some time on the ark with Noah that God always has a plan. It was a moment in world history where it would have appeared as though things had gotten out of control, that maybe God hadn't thought thoroughly through all that was taking place. But the ark revealed to us that God never's at a loss. He never says, what do I do now? He always has a plan. And the plan in the ark was a place of salvation that God provided, calling all people to himself. And we're grateful for a God who, among other things, has a plan to save all of us from our sinfulness and save us unto a relationship with Him. This week, I want to spend some time looking at one of these passages that really helps us to understand God's power. God's power. Uh, How many of you here today, and I want you to think about this, how many of you here today have had at least one time in your life where you've gone down to the ocean and you've ridden a wave, maybe that was body surfing or surfing or body boarding or some other thing I maybe haven't even heard of, but how many of you would say today, Pastor, I have ridden a wave in my lifetime. Are there those like that today? Many of you. Good, good, good. Some of you need to get out a little more, to be honest with you. Really, I can't believe that. We live in California, but most of you have. All right, now, how many of you would say, Pastor, not only have I ridden a wave, but there's been an occasion, listen to I'm all the way done, you don't want to answer prematurely, okay, but you'd say, Pastor, not only have I ridden a wave, but there's been an occasion in my life where a wave has taken me for a ride, and for a moment of time, in the midst of that ride, I thought, that's it, my life is over, this is one powerful wave. Are there those like that today? Most of you, good. Because if you've spent any time in the ocean, probably you've known the exhilaration of, of riding a wave, that's great, but you know the fear, the panic of just getting held under by a wave, you know, and, and uh, uh, you think maybe, just maybe, this is going to be the end. A few months ago, my brother came out for a visit, and I shared with you last week, my dad's got a boat here in Oceanside, and I've been planning some things to do with my brother, and we talked, and, and as he came out, we went out on my dad's boat, it's, it's something to do to spend time together, and he had some friends with him, and at that time, my dad's boat was about 36 feet long and 10,500 pounds, and, and I share the size of it with you to let you know it was a really windy day and a choppy day, but when we got down to the harbor, I'd never seen it anything close to how it was that day. The waves were breaking over the rocks, and in that little part where you can drive out of the harbor, you know, uh, it was just getting pounded, and, and uh, we thought, well, we'll give it a shot. And we got out there, I'm telling you, in the harbor, not too bad, you know, but man, when we got to the area where you try to make your way out to the open sea, uh, we just started getting pounded, the boat's rolling, everything's falling on the floor of the cabin, it was a total mess, and we made a decision in that moment, let's turn around and get back in the harbor, all right? Now, that was good for a lot of reasons. One, there's no sense in needlessly getting beaten up, you can avoid it, right? And number two, neither one of us me nor my brother really have that much of an idea what we're doing on board a boat okay so we're not the guys you want uh, at the helm in in time of difficulty and so we said let's just turn around and get back to a place of safety friends listen that is not always an option when we encounter stormy weather in life sometimes storms blow into our lives and we can't say hey let's let's go to calmer waters let's just turn around let's back it up there are going to be seasons in our lives when storms come in and really all we can do is just go through them now thankfully we don't have to stay in the midst of them we can literally go through them but i want you to understand today that, that that's the nature 
of life. Now, storms in the Bible are often analogous to storms in our own lives, and storms in our lives can take on a lot of, a lot of different forms. In fact, storms in our lives can take on the form of physical storms. I mean, in America this summer, we've seen a lot of storms, and, and the heartland especially just had a lot of tornadoes, a lot of devastation. We think what happened in, in Oklahoma and, and other places, and, and so maybe a, a storm that we go through in life is a, a physical storm like that, or maybe it's an economic storm. You go through a time of uncertainty, and we all know what those are. Maybe it's a relational storm, somebody you care about deeply, and it's just, it's just not the way it needs to be. Uh, on and on I could go, but I think you understand. When I speak of storms today, I'm talking about those, those difficult moments, those trials that come into our lives. And I've also learned this about storms. You may have as well. Uh, they have no compassion on you. Storms don't care about you. They don't care how busy you are. They don't care how heavy a burden you're carrying in life. In fact, if you're just coming out of a storm, another one could blow into your life, and it's not going to feel any remorse at all that, oh, man, that guy's just coming out of something. Storms often gang up on you, and they'll come two, three in a row. That's just the nature of storms. They blow in. They do their work. Their work is devastation. They move on. The good news today is this. Jesus Christ is the master even of the storm. He's a great Savior. And uh, we have a passage before us today that I really believe can help us, encourage us. Uh, it, can, it can tell us some things we all need to know. Listen, let me tell you something about this passage we're going to study today. There's not one of us in this room who can say that's more for somebody else than it is for me. We all need what we're going to find in Mark chapter 4. And if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to this text. And uh, I love Mark chapter 4. I think many of you know I love the Gospel of Mark. We just finished not too long ago, way more than a year, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse, going through this great Gospel. And of all the Gospel of Mark, probably the, the passage that I enjoy looking to the most is, is this passage. I, I love this part of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be looking today really at the entire fourth chapter. But today for our reading, we're going to begin in, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. So you look there, the Bible says this, and the same day, we're going to come back to that, the day is important. The same day, the Bible says, when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. Now, I need to kind of give us a little update here, let us know what's going on here. The same day when the even was come, so we're at the end of the day, the evening's coming, he said unto them, Jesus is speaking to his closest followers, the disciples, the apostles. He said to them, let us, he's included with them, pass over to the other side. He was referring to making a trip across a, a body of water known as the Sea of Galilee. So here they are, it's at the end of the day, the evening's coming on, and Jesus says to his closest followers, hey guys, let's go to the other side, all right? Let's make our way to the other side. We'll read on, verse 36. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. There rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, what an indictment for God the Son to like look 
in your face and say, how come you don't have any faith at all? Now, we, we might imagine, well, these are the apostles he's talking to. Surely they have faith. They were with Jesus to begin with. They've been with him. And, and the point I want us to get from this, we're going to come back in a moment. Jesus was making a point. This was a matter of emphasis. Storms are a time of learning. And Jesus was bearing down on this moment so that he could turn a corner and turn them from fear to a life of faith that was growing. So he said, how is it that you have no faith? Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. He said one to another, what manner of man is this? All right? What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. If you would, please, go back to the midst of verse 37. And there's a statement here that I think serves as a good center for what we're going to be studying today. In the midst of verse 37, we read these words. A great storm of wind. Our Father, thank you for this day, for the opportunity we have to learn and grow. Lord, I pray that you would allow this study today to be helpful and useful. And and, uh, I pray that people in this room this morning... Uh, that that they would find the encouragement from this truth that would allow us to go through those storms that are coming our way. And Lord, undoubtedly, there are many here today who are right in the middle of a storm, a great storm. So I pray that you allow this service to conduct its perfect work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, the day began like so many other days had begun. Jesus Christ awakened, probably spending time with the Father in prayer and and then begins to teach. And he went down to the seashore and he began to teach and crowds gathered and he continued to teach. And as the crowds grew, they grew from crowds into multitudes. And there on the seashore with multitudes gathering there, it would have been difficult to get a voice to carry through the crowd to get to all of them. But you see, Jesus knows something. Jesus knows that there's a great amplification system of the natural sort that's great for carrying the human voice. And it's water. Jesus understood that. Maybe you've had that experience as well. You can be on a lake sometimes and hear someone speaking far away. And so Jesus made a decision. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in the boat. We're going to push out a little bit from shore. And the multitudes are going to be there. And I'll speak from the platform, from the pulpit, as it were, of the boat. And my voice can be carried and multitudes can hear. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, to give us some background, the Bible says this. And he began again to teach by the seaside... And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. You get the picture. The beach is now the grandstands. It's the seats. It's it's where people are gathered. Jesus is in the boat teaching to the people. Now, here he is, and and, uh, he's he's teaching and working and exerting energy and, and sharing powerful truths. And And uh, as this was done, the day now comes near to an end, and a decision was made. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, if you notice that verse, please. The Bible says, and the same day, the same day that started on the seashore, in the boat, preaching to people, the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. Now I want you to get the setting here. Jesus has been teaching all day. He goes from the seashore to the boat, a little distance from the shore, allowing the voice to be carried uh, over the waters. And now the days come to an end. The evening is here. And Jesus says, listen, we're in a boat. We're already pushed away a little bit from the land. Let's just go ahead and make our way to the other side. Let's go to the other side of this body of water where he was, a, a body of water often called the Sea 
of Galilee. Now, I can just imagine the day there. Uh, I would imagine it was kind of a warm, peaceful day, and Jesus there is, is doing his ministry, and, and the day's coming to an end, and everyone would have been tired. The disciples would have been tired. I can only imagine how Jesus must have felt having taught all day, having to cast his voice, even using the water as an amplification system. And, and uh, so the evenings come. They're in this beautiful place. They're weary. They're drained. And, and the energy would have been gone. And, and here they have a trip before them. Now, it's a relatively short trip. And the disciples, no doubt, had made it many times before. But uh, as they get in the boat, they would have had uh, the opportunity perhaps to use a sail. That time of day, probably they would have had oars on board. From what I understand, the boats often came equipped with a very simple sail. But oftentimes, they would have had uh, uh, oars to use as well. There was a boat that was drug out of the mud on the Sea of Galilee not too long ago that they've dated back to the time of Christ. And it gives us a little insight as to what these boats might have looked like. Relatively simple boat this would have been something very similar to what Jesus is in as he's making his way across the Sea of Galilee. As they got underway, we read in Mark chapter 4, and if you look now, please, in verse 37. The Bible says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waters, uh, of wind, rather, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. It would be reasonable to wonder if these men were raised in that region, if many of the disciples were fishermen, and we know that to be the case, and if all of them would have been familiar with the Sea of Galilee, why would they ever have got into a boat on an afternoon where it looked like a storm was going to blow in? And really, if we take a minute to kind of understand the topography of that region, it might help us to better understand the nature of the storms there. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful place, as I said, but it sits about 700 feet below sea level. It's a very low body of water. The hills around the Sea of Galilee, uh, Galilee climb up to about 1,500 feet or so. To the east of the Sea of Galilee, there are mountaintops with peaks about 3,100 feet would be the height of those particular mountaintops. And to the north of the Sea of Galilee are, are some very tall mountains. They'll have snow on them most of the year through. In fact, uh, the water for uh, the Sea of Galilee that comes from the Jordan River would come from snow that melts on a big mountain there called Mount Hermon. And so when you kind of understand the topography, uh, kind of uh, mountains and hills surrounding a very low point, you can kind of see that given the right conditions, the cold weather from the heights of the mountains would come down. On the, on the right day, the heat from, from the lower part would come up. They would conflict. We know what happens when that takes place. A storm erupts, and, and with the lake being so low and relatively high mountains all around, you can, you can just kind of see how a cyclone type of an event would, would happen there. And, and that's really what I believe took place here. I believe the storm just came in, in an instant and they went from a relatively peaceful afternoon to an incredibly fearful occasion. They could not have known. They could not have known the storm was coming. Nor could they have known, the disciples, that this would be a night that they would never, ever forget. And that's exactly what it became storm dropped in on them like a bomb in a very short matter of time. They're fighting for their lives. Mark in his gospel has already told us that the ship was little. That's his words. It was little. And he told us the storm was great. And he told us that at this point in the narrative, the ship is now full. Now imagine with me, if you were these disciples, many were very skilled in, in, in boats, skilled as sailors, skilled as fishermen. They would have known the water. They would have known initially what to do when a storm emerges. They would have been bailing 
uh, the, the water out of the boat doing all they can. And, and just imagine, put yourself in, in that position for a moment. And in your mind's eye, just kind of imagine you're there in the boat and, and, and everybody's fighting for their lives and they're trying to get water out of the boat and stabilize the boat and do whatever it is they would have thought of to, to do. And imagine one of the disciples saying, Hey, there's somebody on this team that's not helping us. You thought, well, man, who would that be? Why would somebody not help in this situation? We're going down. We're in a little ship in a big storm, and uh, we've got problems. And imagine somebody saying, I'll tell you who it is on this team that's not carrying his weight. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. And someone would then say, in fact, he's, he's, uh, he's even sleeping during the storm. You know, it's always hard when you're going through a storm in your life and those closest to you seem to care less. You ever been there? I mean, you're just, you're absolutely feeling gut shot in life and those that you think would care the most, it seems like they could care the least. Sometimes that happens. But imagine at that moment in life you find out that the one that cares the least is Jesus. And you're trying to get this to justify in your mind. You're trying to kind of get all of this to work together. Wait a minute, I'm going through this incredible storm. It looks like I'm going down. This may very well be the end in Jesus Christ. I mean, He should care. He should make a difference. And He's in the back of the boat sleeping. Friends, let me tell you this. Clearly, Jesus was making a point in this occasion. Clearly, he was trying to teach them a lesson. And Jesus knows something about you and me. He knows there are some lessons you just can't learn from the dock. You've got to get out in the boat and get in a storm and gain the lesson there. And Jesus is teaching the disciples something at the end of a long day. In fact, he's teaching them something I believe he'd been building up to all day long. There's some lessons here that this group learned, and they're lessons we can learn. As we look to these words today, if you have your notes nearby, I hope you do. I want us to consider the first lesson I see here. The first lesson is this. Storms are stronger than we are, but they're weaker than Jesus is. Storms are stronger than we are and weaker than He is. Now let's go back to verse 37 for a moment moment, just see what it is again that the Bible tells us. There rose a great storm. I I don't want to underemphasize this. I want to even overemphasize. It was a great storm. And the Bible tells us the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Get the picture. Huge storm. Waves are pounding. Water's coming into the boat. The Bible says it is now full. Now, you get a picture here. Before something is totally full, it's partially full and half full and mostly full and then completely full here's the point the disciples prior to turning to jesus did everything in their know-how they employed all of their intellect all of their experience from boats and from storms and they employed all of their energy bailing the water out of the boat doing everything they can to remedy their situation and the bible tells us in the midst of their effort and in the midst of of their rationale that boat goes from a little full to a half full to mostly full to entirely full, literally in jeopardy for their lives. And it's only when they recognize the power of the storm that they then could learn of the power of Jesus in the midst of the storm. You see, one of the lessons they had to learn is, man, this storm is stronger than we are. But Jesus is stronger than the storm. 
There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul's writing, and, and in this passage he says this, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Listen to this statement Paul made, but our sufficiency is of God. So they get out in the storm. They're getting pummeled, right? Jesus is on board the boat, but they're trying to do it all themselves, and they had to learn, you know something? We're not sufficient of ourselves. Our sufficiency, our enabling, must come from God. You know, the irony in the Christian life is that the real strength that we need, it only comes when we acknowledge our weakness and turn to God in faith. I mean, conventional wisdom would say, just keep doing what you're doing, and I'm an advocate of pressing on. I'm, I'm not a big advocate of quitting. I think if we're involved in something, we need, to, we need to see it through. I understand that, but there's a right way to do this. And when it comes to storms, we first have to give up on ourselves and, and, and give in to the Lord. You see, there's a lesson to learn in a storm, and nobody says it any better than Jesus Christ. He was very emphatic as he wrote his words to us in John 15, 5. He said, you know, without me, you can't do anything. In fact, he said it better than that. He said, ye can do nothing. Zero, nada, zilch. Now, we might think, but I did something one time without Jesus. And Jesus would remind us in the greater context of the passage, it wasn't anything of eternal consequence. It wasn't anything of heavenly value. It wasn't anything that I would be a part of. Jesus says, I want you to know in the midst of your life, you need me to do what needs to be done. You see, we live our lives in, in a physical sense, in flesh. We all have a mind. But we're not to live in the power of our flesh or to be limited by the limited capacity we have in our intellect. The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And, and the life which I'm now living in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me tell you what Paul was saying in that verse. He was saying, I, I'm living in the flesh, but I'm not of the flesh. I, I may live in an earth suit, but I'm not all about just the earth and, and the temporary. Uh, he said, I, I'm living by faith. I'm trusting the power of God to do through me what could not be done of me. He said, I'm giving up on this mess, and I, I, I just want to know what it is to have God working in my life. I'm sure you've had an experience similar to this, and really I'll tell this as a singular experience, but I could tell a lot of stories like this. I remember one day going out into the ocean, the waves being particularly big, and, and paddling out and having fun, but I'm thinking of an occasion where I was paddling out after riding a wave in, and it's a big day, and the biggest set I've seen of the day comes rumbling in, and I'm thinking I better paddle quickly or this thing's going to squish me like a bug, and the closer I get and the harder I paddle, it becomes apparent that I'm not going to be paddling any faster than uh, this wave's rolling in. And, and uh, so there you are. The water falls on your head. And uh, I've had a lot of occasions where uh, as the wave comes down and smashes you, the board goes a different way, the leash is torn off, and, and there you are. And, and on this occasion of which I'm thinking, you're, you're there, and this enormous wave's just thrashing me around like I'm in a wash machine. I'm just tumbling uh, 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 over and over and, and rolling around. And, and uh, instinctively, I know, I know, I understand one day that my life will end. I understand I'm going to die, but in that moment, I preferred not die by way of drowning that day, okay? And how many are, are, are with me, okay? And so I'm kicking and clawing and doing whatever I can to try to get to the surface because there's this stuff up there I desperately wanted 
oxygen, okay, and, and yet I'm not getting anywhere. The, the waves just throwing me around. I don't know if I gave up thinking this is it, this is the end. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but in that moment, it just dawned on me, hey, man, you're expending too much energy here. Just chill out for a minute and, and relax inevitably. You, the buoyancy of your body knows what to do. When you just stop kicking and expending all your energy, it just naturally takes you to the surface where it is you need to go. Sometimes in life, we get in our storms, and man, we're just, we're working, we're fretting, we're trying to m micromanage and manipulate the situation and, and uh, I, I'm not saying that there's nothing to be done in a storm but I am saying this there's nothing to be done until we first come to the place that we acknowledge you know what storms are stronger than you they're smarter than you but Jesus is greater than the storm and I want to trust him that's what's happening here as we continue looking at this text we see another truth that we can we can get a hold of I've stated it this way. You have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. That's important for every part of life. But when you're in a storm, that's no time for an identity crisis. Okay? That's no time to try and reinvent yourself. Figure out who I really am. No, no, no. You have to know who you are, especially when you're in the midst of a storm. Now, Mark adds that Jesus here isn't just in the back of the boat asleep. He adds that he's asleep on a pillow. Now, Jesus had been preaching all day long. Uh, you, using uh, every, every uh, energy that he had to try and get the, the truth out. And I'm sure that, that that was wearing him out. But to sleep during a storm like this, that's unusual. And I've got to wonder, how is it that Jesus, in a storm that's bringing the disciples to the brink of just abject desperation, how is it that Jesus could sleep in a storm like that? How could he have the kind of peace on the inside that would allow him not to react what's happening on the outside well I'm sure there's a larger answer to this than I'll give today but in the simplest way of looking at this Jesus obviously knew some things that affected the way he lived so we've got disciples in a storm we've got Jesus in a storm same storm same situation uh, these guys are panicking they're now uh, even blaming blaming Jesus effectively and, and then we've got Jesus, and he's at perfect peace. Storms have a way of revealing our character. Now, I know sometimes we'll paint that picture in a way that says, when you go through a storm, your character's revealed to others. And I believe that. In fact, I'll even talk about that in a few weeks' time. But they have a way of revealing things to us that maybe we didn't even know about ourselves. Sometimes you go through a storm and think, man, I can't believe I did that. Other times we go through storms and we think, man, I, I didn't even know that, that I was equipped to handle something like this. And, and storms reveal character. And what the storm revealed in this situation was that Jesus Christ, He's great, He's God, He's powerful. And it revealed that the disciples, although they would have been feeling pretty good about themselves all that day as they were Jesus and the multitudes were being taught, it, it kind of revealed they still had quite a bit to learn. Jesus knew some things that affected the way he lived and the way he dealt with storms. Why? Well, if you have your outline there, I want you to go through these. And I'll go through, through them rather quickly, but I want you to get a hold of these thoughts. First of all, letter A, because of who he is. Now, who is Jesus Christ? Let me tell you who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is God the Son 
He's the Son of God. And uh, uh, because of who Jesus is, he could have peace in his life even though he was in the midst of the storm. If you were to ask me how is it that Jesus could have peace in his life even though he's in the midst of the storm, I would have to say that's easy. It's because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. You see, the writer of Isaiah in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 tells us this. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's speaking here of Jesus, prophesying of Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus could endure storms calm with peace because of who he is, but also let her be because of who he knows. Being God the Son means that he is very well acquainted with God the Father. In fact, the Bible tells us they're one. John 17, 11 says this, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So Jesus, in the midst of a storm, could have peace. Why? Because of who he is. He's, he's a, a, a son of the Father. He's trusting his Father, let her see, because of what he knows. Well, what does he know? Jesus had an understanding that throughout his life there was a prevailing, divinely appointed purpose. And Jesus knew that his purpose was bigger than any single storm that he'd go through in his life. He knew that. All right? Now, if we took the time to step into the upper room when Jesus had what we call now the Lord's Supper... Uh, we, we gain some insight. There in John 13, 13, we hear these words. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. And I could read on. But you see, Jesus had an understanding. Uh, I've got a purpose. I've got a calling. There's a reason for my life that cannot be usurped or undone by way of a storm. And this leads us to the next thought, letter D. Because of where he was going. Now, what did Jesus know about where he was going? Well, he knew a lot. He spoke oftentimes through his life about that hour, that moment. He knew that in his life he was going to make his way to Jerusalem. He knew while in Jerusalem he was going to pick up an old rugged cross and he was going to carry it to a hill that we call Calvary or Golgotha. He knew that he would hang on that cross and that he would shed his life's blood not for any sin that he'd done but because of our sin. He knew that he was going to a borrowed tomb. It was borrowed because he'd only needed a few days and he knew that on the third day he would rise again according to the scriptures and ultimately he knew that on, on uh, uh, that occasion after a period of time he would ascend back to the right hand of God the Father. The point I'm making is this. Jesus knew that he was going somewhere. The storm couldn't stop that. And finally letter E, because of what he could do. Now what could Jesus do? Let me tell you what Jesus can do. Whatever he wants to do. He's God. He has power. Maybe you're familiar with the passage of Scripture we call the Great Commission. Where we're told to go and tell people about Jesus and those who get saved, baptize them and so forth. Um, let, let me tell you how the Bible introduces Jesus' power in that text. All power, Jesus said, is given unto me. All power. And so here's Jesus in a storm, and he doesn't need to freak out. Why? Because he doesn't just have power. He's got it all. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, all right, Pastor, this is all fine and well. You took a pretty long time to tell me a lot of things about Jesus, but you'd say today, Pastor, here's a problem. I'm not Jesus. I've got news for you today. You're not Jesus. 
It's bound prayer, and we'll be on our way. We just missed it. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's, that's not all the news. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. But when we find our identity through a relationship with God, placing our faith in that which Jesus has done for us, the Bible says we're born again spiritually. In fact, a very big theological word, we study this in scriptures, is regeneration. We're born again into the family of God. That means we're a child of God. Are we Jesus? No. But I want you to know that each of these truths we just mentioned that gave Jesus the capacity to go through the storm of peace in his heart, these are all things that we can have peace uh, because of in our own lives when we find our identity in him. If you're a believer today, you are a child of God and you are connected to the Father. You are a part of God's great purpose in the world today. You are on your way to heaven and you are able to do exceeding abundantly in this life through his power. A storm will never be the end of a Christian. You need to know that. Now, there was not much in the way of peace around Jesus, but there's great peace inside of him. And that can be true of us when we learn to accept who we are in him. The final thought today is this. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Now, I don't want to make anybody feel bad today, so if I say something, you want to get mad at me, you can, but I hope you'll hear me out first. A lot of times when I get in a storm, I have a tendency to get a little bit introspective a little bit selfish and I think that's natural I mean when you're getting pummeled in life you're kind of thinking hey I got to take care of things here and, and we get thinking about ourselves and we can get very self-oriented in the midst of the storm and we can think that the storm and, and, and us it's, it's, it's all about the same thing and that's everything and, and we forget no it's bigger than just me and this moment and this experience it's bigger now did you notice in their moment of fear that the disciples went to Jesus? And, and listen to what they said. Master, carest thou not that we perish? But what were they doing? You see, they got into the place where they're basically saying, you know what, this is your fault, and look here, look at me, look at my need. You don't care. That was the idea. You don't care about what it is I'm going through. And, and in the moment uh, of this storm, it was all about them. And the text really paints a different picture. It was bigger than them. Back where we began in verse 35, I want us to really think of something together. And the same day. You see verse 35? And the same day. If you underline things in your Bible, I want you to make note of that word day. Because this day was very, very important when the even was come. So in this day, this very day where the evening ended up coming, where we started reading in our text. There was something about that day. And God wants us to understand something about that day. If you listen carefully, maybe we can get this together. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus was teaching. He was teaching on the seashore. Then he was teaching from a boat. He was teaching crowds. He was teaching multitudes. But in the midst of it all, he was teaching his disciples, his closest followers, and frankly, friends, he's teaching us today as well. As he was teaching, there was a theme in his messages. There was a chord that ran through the content of his teaching. There was a point he wanted the people to get, and there was certainly a point that the disciples needed to get as well. If we were to read the entire chapter, we could see it, but I'll just mention some highlights in the chapter to help us learn about this day, this very day. In verses 3 through 9 in Mark chapter 4, Jesus there is talking to them about the kingdom, his kingdom. 
He taught a parable there of a sower and the this, this seed has been likened unto the Word of God and it's thrown out and, and it grows and so forth. And, and the disciples did not quite understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't quite know what he was getting at. So in verse 11, Jesus kind of clarifies for them a little bit. He wants them to have an understanding. And so in verse 11, he, he says this, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. He says, this is what I'm talking about, men. The kingdom of God. That's the purpose for this story. Now we, we get that verses 3 through 9. The clarity comes in, in verse 11. For example, in verses 21 to 25 of this text, he's teaching a parable of a candle under a bushel basket. And when he's done teaching that, he tries to help people understand. And so as he responds to them in that moment, he says this, So is the kingdom of God. Now please stick with me for a moment. Hopefully this will make sense in a moment's time. What was he saying? Guys, when I taught about the seed uh, being sown, there was a purpose for that. There was a reason for that. I wanted you to understand there's a kingdom. God's kingdom. I'm teaching you about that. When he comes to the place where uh, he's dealing with these other matters, he said there's a reason. It's because it's a picture, a type, an image of the kingdom of God. The candle under the bushel basket is, is a picture. I'm using that picture to teach you of the kingdom of God. This day, this very day, had been completely set aside by Jesus Christ to help them understand what the kingdom was all about. And that afternoon... When even was come, they embarked on a boat with the king of the kingdom. They were with the king. In, in verse 40, Jesus said this, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I really believe, taking this chapter in context, Jesus is essentially saying, Haven't you guys been listening to me? I've invested this entire day helping you understand it's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. I've been investing this day in helping you understand that there's a kingdom and, and it's going to start small, like if you're sowing a seed, but then it's going to grow rapidly in time. And, and it's a kingdom that's worthy of a message being spread far and wide. We don't want to cover it up. And, and Jesus says, I, I want you to know that what you're living your lives for, what you're investing your lives in, it's more than just you. It's more than the temporary, physical, earthly that we see now. It's a spiritual, eternal kingdom. And Jesus is saying to them, and I'm the king of the kingdom and anywhere you go in life when the king is on board your vessel you can just go ahead and trust him because he's in charge and he said man I'm sending you out some things in life that you're not yet going to understand right now if I told you right now completely blow your mind but we've got to we've got to really underscore all that's to come in your life by helping you understand this it's about the king and when you do that, what your king would have you to do, and the power that the king gives you to do it, it's going to be okay. It's a win-win situation for you in your life. I, I think Jesus in that statement near the end in verse 40 was, was kind of saying, weren't you listening? This whole thing is, is bigger than you. He, he would say, I've orchestrated this entire day so I can put you in a storm tonight because you're not going to learn this any other way. I could sit on the dock with you all day long hypothesizing but I needed to put you right in a storm and go sound asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat and let you come to your wits end so that I could teach you history. From time to time, people say, you know, Pastor, I, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you, but, but you're just so busy. And I always feel bad when I hear that. Uh, I, I'm busy and you're busy, but 
what do you think I'm busy doing? If, if, if someone needs to talk with me or wants to talk with me, I, I'm happy for that and I enjoy that. And from time to time, someone will say, I, I, need, I need time right this second. And sometimes that's difficult. So from time to time, you know, it's helpful. People will contact and say, hey, uh, I'd like to talk and then, you know, work something out. But I remember one Monday, some time ago, where a couple that I hadn't seen in a while, a long while, came to the church office and they said, Pastor, we need to talk with you right now. And as it turned out that day, it, w- it was something that I could make happen. I said, sure, come on in. And, and they, they came in my office and I let them talk for a good long while. And I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything for a good long while, but I was thinking things. They shared with me they were having some struggles in their marriage and of course every marriage has difficult times, but they're going through and, and sharing and things are going through. This went on for a good long while. And I, and I listened. I was thinking. And I didn't say this. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it. But, but I, I want you to know what I was thinking at that moment. I thought, now you guys are coming here on a Monday demanding time right now. And every problem you just shared with me, I just addressed in a sermon series on the family that I finished just yesterday. And you didn't come here. Now forgive me, but I'm just thinking, man, I studied, I prayed, I, I put this message series together on the family, and, and honestly, it just seemed like everything they outlined was the topic I covered in the sermon series on the family. And, and I didn't do it. Maybe one of these days I'll get a little bravery up, but I, I wanted to say, why weren't you listening? I'll give you your own personal sermon if you want it now, but it just makes better sense for us to all get together at the same time, you know? listening you know many times in life we get in a situation and as noisy as it is as a storm it's just the perfect situation to hear from God sometimes it's the only situation maybe where we'll be listening Christ had taught them about his kingdom and that it would start small and grow and in their minds success would come from them and if they were in a storm it was all about them They wanted a message that said, listen, you're never going to sink in a storm. How many of you think Jonah and Peter might disagree with that message? But what we do find in this text is the reality that the power for God's greater work rests in the king. And if you're traveling with the king, you can rest assured that Paul... The apostle got it right in Romans 8, 28, when he said this, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. And we always leave the second half of that verse off. Let me tell you something. When God's word gives the promise that all things work together for good, that promise is not for you unless you appropriate the name of the verse. Don't claim that promise. It's not yours unless you appropriate the end of the verse to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Whose purpose? The King's purpose. What's His purpose? Well, it's kingdom related. It's the King's business. And God says that we have such a great King in Jesus Christ that He can allow all the events, including stormy times, to work together for good as we're on board a vessel and the King's right in the middle of it all. In other words, we have a relationship with King Jesus and we're living lives that, that are seeking to make more of His work in the world today. We're doing His will. 
His wills become our will, not the other way around. And that's the message, I believe, of, of this great storm. Look to Christ. As we follow Jesus, we'll all encounter storms. And storms teach us things, don't they? They teach us that storms are stronger than we are. And yet we also learn that they are weaker than Jesus is. Storms teach us that you really have to know who you are. You have that identity crisis in the midst of it all. And, and storms, many times when we get through them, they're just great reminders. Hey, it's bigger than just you. It's as big as like God. And it's all working together for a bigger purpose. And we can really take comfort and solace in the fact that then when the stormy times come, God can use Father, thank you for this time of